Let us all bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you on this very special day, the day of Pentecost, Shaviot, your Feast of Weeks. We pray that we strive to do your will, that we are pleasing to you. We pray that what is done during this day would be honoring to you. Father, we thank you for the family, for the friends here. We pray that you would bless each one here who's made the journey, the sacrifice to be here, and those watching that, that weren't able to be here. And we thank you and we praise you in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. I'd like to uh, welcome our guests, also those uh, our assembly and those online. Well, as you can see, the uh, title of my message is The Spirit of Meaning of Pentecost. I want to begin by talking about the different names. You know, it's always intrigues me that the names we find for this feast is a little bit different from the others. In the Old Testament, it's called the Feast of Weeks. Feast of Weeks. In the New, we find the name Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. And the Jews, they call this day Shaviot, meaning weeks. So we have 50, or we have a Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and Shaviot, meaning weeks. Now, each one of these names reflects how we count to this day, and we'll see this shortly in just a few moments. This is also one of the three feasts that mark the seasons of Yahweh's year, Yahweh's annual year, his, his sacred year. Now, why is this day important? Well, number one, and, and uh, Brother Gary sort of already said this, but it's important because Yahweh says it's important. And in many ways, we really need nothing more than that. If Yahweh says to do something, if he says this is how we're to worship, we're to worship. But we also know that this day has historic and also prophetic importance based on the word. You know, it represents two very special gifts from our Father in heaven. The first one is the, the uh, giving of the Torah, the commandments, and the other is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, his Ruach HaKodesh. You know, as with any truth, it's important that we understand the basics, we understand the foundation. A day like this, I like to begin there. So turn with me or just read on the slide here. Leviticus 23, verse 15 is where I'd like to begin today. 15 through 16. And here Yahweh says, And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days, and you shall offer new meat offering or grain offering. By the way, the word meat, that's old English. When you see meat, it's kind of odd, but that's actually grain. The only uh, bloodless offering was a meat offering of all things, if you can imagine that according to the King James, anyway. So we see something very unique to begin with about this feast. Normally, Yahweh provides a day in the month. Let me give you an example. In the Word, we're told to observe the Passover on when? The first month, right? Month of Abib on the 14th day of the month. We see this pattern with all the other feast days. Unleavened bread begins on the 15th and so on and so forth. But here, we see something different. We see here that this day is counted, is counted from the wave sheath. We see here that Yahweh says to count seven complete Sabbaths, which also means weeks. That's where you get Feast of Weeks, seven complete weeks. And then we see here that we're to add a 50th day. So 
when was the wave sheaf offered? Now this, again, is going back to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Where it was offered, it says, on the morrow after the Sabbath, during Unleavened Bread. So how do we know this? So the Hebrew for Sabbath is Shabbat. This is important. Shabbat. Shabbaton is the other word for the annual high days, but this is Shabbat. And normally, Shabbat refers to the weekly Sabbath. There's one exception, and that exception is to the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. That day, too, is called a Shabbat, if you look within the Hebrew, but all the other feast days are Shabbaton. It's something very different. Now, the other thing that throws people off is the Old English here. It says that they're to count after the morrow, the morrow after the Sabbath. Well, you know, this is no different from saying the day after Sabbath. What days after the Sabbath? Is this the Sabbath or is this Sunday? Or if I say the day after the Sabbath, I'm referring to Sunday, not to, not to the Sabbath. So why must this occur during the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Why not outside? Why not before? Why not after? Well, Unleavened Bread, as we know, commemorates a barley harvest. You know, one of the key truths with Yahweh's word, especially the feast days, is to recognize the connection between them and the agriculture. It's so important that we understand the connection between the feast days and the agriculture. And here, we know scripturally that unleavened bread commemorated the barley harvest. Therefore, the first fruits of the barley harvest, a wave sheaf, had to be within the feast. Could not offer it before or after. So, for this reason, we know that the wave sheaf, when we begin the count, was on the Sunday during unleavened bread. So from the, this day, the wave sheaf, Yahweh commands us to count seven complete Sabbaths or weeks, and then he says at a 50th day, or the 50th day is where we receive the word Pentecost again, because that's literally in the Greek, it means 50. Now notice what else Yahweh commands in verse 16. He says that on this day the word offer a new grain offering, it says meat offering again. This is really probably a better rendering as a grain offering. It's important that we understand this. Now we know that Pentecost represents another important agricultural event. It represents the wheat harvest. So we have the barley with unleavened bread, and we have the wheat within Pentecost. Matter of fact, and as a side note, this is one reason why many people will read the book of Ruth during this time, as that occurred during this time, during the wheat harvest. Now, verse 17, Yahweh commands there that Israel was to make two loaves. Let's read about that. It says, you shall bring out of your habitations two loaves, or wave loaves, it says, of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto Yahweh. So, what do we notice First, about these two loaves. Well, the thing I notice is that they contained yeast or leavening. This is very unique for a day like this, for a sacrifice. Most grain offerings, actually all other grain offerings, I believe, had no leavening. And here we see the command saying that we're to use leavening. Now, what do you suppose this is? Why did Yahweh command us to use leavening? What is this? Represent, You know, we get to unleavened bread and Passover, and we're always talking about how bad leavening is, don't we? It's such a horrible thing. It represents sin. It represents malice. It represents wickedness. It represents hypocrisy. It represents traditions of men. 
And yet here now Yahweh is commanding us to use leavening within this offering. Where leavening is not always a bad thing. I want to read two sources. The first is from Colin Delich, and here's what this reference says about the leavening. This is the lowest differed from all the other meat offerings, and as a grain offering, being made of leavened dough. So we see a distinction here. Because in them their daily bread was offered to Yahweh, who had blessed the harvest as a thank offering for his blessing. It simply expresses the idea that they were to be loaves made for the daily food of a household and not prepared expressly for holy purposes. So this was for the people. That's what it was mimicking. And I believe that's what the leavening represents. We see something else from the Jameson, Foss, and Brown commentary. It says, the loaves used at the Passover were unleavened. We talked about that. It says, those presented at Pentecost were leavened, a difference which is thus accounted for that the one was a memorial of the bread hastily prepared at their departure. Again, we know that was unleavened bread. While the other was a tribute of gratitude to Yahweh for their daily food, which was leavened. Now, there's other ideas, but this certainly seemed to fit that the leavening represents a thank offering, a, a gratitude to Yahweh. So he's going to use what the people were using, and that's why we see leavening here. Some also say that it represents growth. I can also see that because we know that Yahweh's spirit, we'll see that later on, it was used to grow the assembly. So we certainly may see some of the symbolism. Now what about the two loaves? What are, what are the two loaves that symbolize? Well, again, there's different ideas with this. Some say the two loaves represent Jews and Gentiles. Some say they represent specific tribes within Israel. Some say they represent the Old and New Testament. Some say they represent the two fulfillments we find for this day, that being the giving of the Torah and the outpouring of the Spirit. Truth be told, we really don't know for sure. I kind of lean towards it, fulfilling the two fulfillments we find for this day, and that is the giving of the law and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now we also see a term here I want to explore for just a few moments. We see here the word first fruits, where this phrased phrase is used in reference to Yahshua's own resurrection. We know that he was the first fruits to be resurrected. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, verses uh, 20 and 23. I'm not going to read that, but in that passage, Yahshua is called the first fruits. Now, this occurred, Yahshua's resurrection, when did that occur? That occurred during a love of bread. Again, that was the first fruits, the, the wave sheaf of the barley harvest. But now we're talking about the wheat harvest. Now, first fruits is also found in connection with believers. So I want to read those two passages. We see first fruits, two, two examples. So here's the first one, James chapter 1, verse 18. It says, of his own will begat, and in the Greek, Based on Strong's, it literally means to, to uh, breed forth or to generate. He, us, with a word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. So that's one example there where we see first fruits in connection with believers. We also see another one in Revelation 14, verse 4. It says, These are they which were not defiled with women, they are virgins. This is not literally, by the way, some people, they read this and they think only... Uh, certain people will be in the kingdom based on, no, anyway, I'm not going to go there, but based on a physical attribute. And this is, this is a symbolic. This is symbolic. The, the um, defilement with women 
this basically refers to purity, that we're walking according to Yahweh's ways. This is not referring to anything physical in that other sense. It says, these are they which follow the lamb, whithersoever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto Elohim and to the lamb. So based on what we see here, who are the first fruits? Or the first fruits are those who were begotten, right? That's what we found in James. And begotten is really another way of saying chosen. Yahweh's begotten us. These are those who will keep the commandments of Yahweh and hold to the faith of Yahshua the Messiah, Revelation 12, 17, 14, 12. Two key passages, by the way, very important to remember those verses. Revelation 12, 17, and 14, 12. These are also those who will remain faithful unto the end, through thick and thin, through trial and tribulation. These are those who will be resurrected at Yahshua's coming and who will reign and rule with the Messiah in the millennial kingdom. So these are those that are represented through the first fruits. So we see here that Pentecost represents the calling out, the calling out of those who will be resurrected. Now why do I put the emphasis on will be? Or here's the thing, some people believe that this feast represents the first fruits in the sense of the resurrection. Or this time does not rep- represent the resurrection, because that occurs when? Or that occurs at Yahshua's coming. And that likely is depicted not through this feast, but through Yom Teruah, through the Feast of Trumpets. When Yahshua comes, we know the scripture says that he will gather the elect and then they will establish the kingdom here on earth. So Pentecost is a calling out. It's a calling out. He called Israel out of Egypt, right? First, one of the first things he did, it happened on this feast. We'll see that in just a moment. And also, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the, the igniting of the body happened on this day. Or for now, I want to continue on with the Leviticus, Leviticus 23, verse 21. And it says, you shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in your dwellings throughout your generations. So we see here that Yahweh calls this a holy convocation. Or what does this mean? Where this phrase comes from the Hebrew Kodesh Mikra. And it literally means a calling out a sacred gathering meeting So we're commanded to come together to worship, to fellowship on these days. And we see this command, by the way, with all of Yahweh's feast days. Certain feast days are pilgrimage feasts, they would travel. But we find that all of the days are times of convocation, as we find throughout the word. Times that we're to come together to worship Yahweh and to fellowship with others of like faith. Now we also see here that we're to abstain from work. Work. Matter of fact, it says here specifically, serve all work. What does this mean? Where the word work literally comes from, or it comes from the Hebrew obodah, according to Strong's, it means work of any kind. Now, we do know that there's a slight difference between a high day and a Sabbath, but on this day, we're to avoid mundane work, we're to avoid exertion, we're to worship Yahweh and fellowship and like faith. Well, let's move on now. I want to talk about the fulfillments of these days. That's really what's important to understand. You know, what do these days represent? What happened in the Old Testament and what happened in the New? Well, let's begin with the Old. Leviticus, or I'm sorry, Exodus 19, verse 1. 
uh, we see, I believe, indication of the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It says, in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. Now, it's important that we understand the timing of this passage. We see here that Israel was where? In the third month. It says here that Israel was in the wilderness of Sinai in the third month. Now, even though Yahweh does not provide a month for Pentecost, we know mathematically that Pentecost falls within the third month. We also know chronologically that this passage was right before Moses went into Mount Sinai to receive the Torah or the commandments from Almighty Yahweh. Now, it's also important to recognize that Jewish tradition states that the law was also given on this day. We don't, it doesn't say this exactly here. It doesn't say the law was given to Moses on the day of Pentecost. But the Jews believe it was, and we certainly see indication here from Scripture, that they were in the right place at the right time. You know, the other thing to consider is this. Nearly every major event we find within Scripture occurred on a feast day. Well, let me give you some examples. We know from an Old Testament standpoint that the firstborn of Egypt died when? They died on Passover, right? Yahweh's death angel came through on Passover. Or when were, when were the Israelites freed from Egyptian slavery? Well, this really, they left on the Feast of Love and Bread, another major, major event. And what's more major, what's more important, what's more significant than for the giving of the word, the giving of the commandments? To me, it's hard to think that the commandments, the giving of the Torah was not tied to a feast day. So again, we see indication here, Jewish tradition states that the law was given on Shaviot, and I tend to believe that this was certainly the case. Now, as a last reason, I believe we see a connection between this, the fulfillment in the old, and a connection with what we find in the new. So let's jump right in in the new and read about the fulfillment. Acts 2. Now, we heard Brother Gary mention this in his message there on the offering. Acts 2, verse 1 through 4 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, in other words, it had arrived. You know, people were there, they were gathered, they were ready to worship Yahweh. It says they were all with one accord. Now, what does that mean, all in one accord? They were in unity. You know, it's so important to Yahweh's people that we're in unity. And I'm, I'm blessed here because I believe we have unity, and it's a blessing to see that. And they were also in one place. They weren't scattered. They made an effort to be here during this time. So suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. Notice how, by the way, it says like as a fire. It doesn't say it was fire. Some people say it had to be fire. No, it's like fire. And it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So in this passage, we find that the people were gathered when? They were gathered on the day of Pentecost. They were gathered on a Shaviot, on Yahweh's appointed time. You know, based on this, we find the believers in the New Testament were still observing the feast days. You know, it's amazing. It's just amazing how people could read the Bible, they can read the New Testament, and they miss this fact. This was after Yahshua's resurrection. They're still doing these days. Matter of fact, we also know that, according to prophecy, that these days will also be observed in the millennial kingdom. 
You know, we see this in Isaiah 66, 23. That's in reference to the new moons and Sabbaths. It says, from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before Yahweh. We also find in Ezekiel 45 and 46. We also see it in Zechariah 14, 16 through 19. There in Zechariah, Yahweh says to the prophet that all nations will be required to keep these feast days. So we see that these days are important. Now, we see here that two things happened on this day. Number one, Yahweh poured out his spirit, his ruach, his pneuma. Pneuma, by the way, is Greek for spirit. So ruach, pneuma, on those gathered. And number two, when this happened, something occurred, and that was that those gathered received the ability, the gift of tongues. I want to focus for a few moments on the outpouring of Yahweh's spirit. You don't understand this. This is the fulfillment for Pentecost. The fulfillment for Pentecost is the outpouring of Yahweh's spirit. Now, we know that the spirit existed prior to that, but not as it did after this. You see, the difference between what we find in the old and new is the old, certain people had it for certain reasons, but in the new, Yahweh poured it out upon all, all who would accept his truth. So we see that the spirit was poured out again on this Day. Now, I've already mentioned this. Some believe that it's connected with the resurrection of mankind, where this will again likely occur when Yashra, or we know it occurs when Yashra comes, which will likely happen during the Feast of Trumpets. Now, Scripture also shows that there is a relationship, I believe, between what we find here and the fulfillment we find in the Old Testament. So again, this day, the fulfillment of the Old Testament was the giving of the Torah, the giving of the law. Moses received the commandments, I believe, and Scripture certainly indicates, on this day. Now, we see here, without any doubt, without any question, that the Spirit was, the, the outpouring was accomplished also on this day. We see there's a connection between, I believe, the law, the Torah, and the Spirit. Through the law, we receive the knowledge of our Father's word, his code of ethics, his morality. And through the Spirit, we receive the wisdom, the discretion to rightly apply that word. You see the connection? I see it. You see how these two correlate with one another, the law. You know, some people, many people, they divorce the terms. They say they have no correlation. They have no relationship because now we're under the New Testament and there's no need to obey. But what I see is a a harmony between the two. The, The law gives us knowledge of Yahweh's word, his morality while his spirit gives us the ability to rightly discern that truth. So they complement one another. What Yahweh began in the old, he finished in the new. Now we also see here that through the outpouring of the spirit, those gathered receive the gift of tongues. What is this? What is this? We certainly see examples of this today within the charismatic movement. Is this what we see, though, in Scripture? Well, I don't believe it is. You see, if we look at the word tongues, we see something different. This word comes from the Greek glossa, glossa. And here's how Strong's defines this term. It says a language, especially one, naturally unacquired. So we see two things there. Number one, it refers to a language, right? And number two, in some cases, we find here that it's naturally unacquired, as we see here in Acts 2. This was not through their own intellect. The people here gathered, they received the tongues through Yahweh's power. We'll talk about that. Now, we find a very similar definition from Thayer's. It says this. It says, a language or a dialect used by a particular people distinct from that of other nations. 
So that's how Thayer's Greek lexicon defines glossa. Both refer, number one, to a known language, and number two, in some cases, it's naturally unacquired, as we find through Strong's. And, and we see an example of this in Acts 2. In this example, we see 15 nations were gathered, and all those present received this gift. Well, let's talk a little bit about this gift, but I want to read verse, verses 5 through 13 to learn a little bit more here. It says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. You know, there's some debate, matter of fact, I'll mention this, there's some debate whether they spoke or heard. I tend to think they probably heard one another speak, which is maybe more the interpretation of tongues, but nonetheless we see the gift here. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own language, wherein we were born? Parthians, Medes, uh, Elamites, and the dwellers of Mesopotamia, and all Judea, Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes. Proselytes, by the way, are converts. It's not just Jews here, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of Elohim. And they were all amazed and were in doubt. You know, they were perplexed. They really did not know what to think about all this happening. Saying to one another, what means this? Others mocking said these men are full of new wine you know, it's important to notice here that both, we see both Jews and proselytes, and again, these are those who were non-Jews, who were converts to this faith, and we see here that they were gathered from all throughout the Middle East, and even further, matter of fact, here's a map showing just where these nations are located, gives you an idea how far some of these folks traveled to be there for this feast. So we see here Rome, somewhere from Rome, it says. Whereas a crow flies, Rome is about 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles from Jerusalem. You know, as we see from Scripture, Pentecost is a pilgrimage feast. It's a commanded feast. And we see here that many people traveled, and some traveled quite far to be here for that time. You know, it's important as believers that we try to gather, we try to come together, we, we keep these feasts. And uh, I know it's not possible for everybody, and so we can only do what we can do. But certainly if we have the ability, we should be there and be here for the feast days. So from this example, we find that, number one, the feasts were not only for the Jews, because we also see proselytes. We see folks from Rome. We see people scattered coming from all throughout the Middle East. And again, people traveled quite far to be here. We also see here that through the outpouring of the Spirit that everyone could, it says, hear each other speak in their own language. Again, I tend to believe that those gathered were, made, were not speaking in other languages, but they were hearing in other languages. Some say they were speaking. You know, it's a gift of tongues. We know that some can speak, some can hear, some can interpret. So I'm good either way. But we see here that Yahweh poured his spirit out, 
and the gift of tongues was poured out upon those gathered. Now we also know that this, this gift greatly impacted the growth of the New Testament assembly. I say New Testament, some, some, you know, some say assembly, and they'll say well, the assembly also was in the Old Testament. This is true, and it's an important point, that the assembly actually began in the Old Testament. But we know from the New Testament assembly that the day of Pentecost really was that explosion that, that ignited the growth of the New Testament assembly. Now, I want to... You know what? The, the last thing we see here, I want to focus on this for just a moment, is the uh, people, as we see here, they didn't know what this meant. They, they didn't know what to really make of this uh, gift. Some believed it was the power of Yahweh. Some believed that uh, was, uh, they, were, they were just completely confused. And, and still others believed that it was a result of wine. Or again, we know that, of course, Peter says, you know, it's, it's too early and we're going to see to, for, for wine. And uh, they, they recognized eventually that it was a power of Yahweh. Matter of fact, we see this. Peter gives this message in this uh, Acts 2, starting in verse 14. One of the really the greatest messages I think we find throughout Scripture is that but Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice. And, you know, I can only imagine, by the way, there's no microphones this must have been quite a challenge for him to speak out. But he says, With the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that are dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Listen, he's saying. Listen to what I'm saying. He says, For these are not drunken. They're not drinking wine, as you suppose, saying it is but the third hour of the day. It's too early for that. But, says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith Yahweh, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, they shall speak under the inspiration of Yahweh's spirit. He says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of Yahweh comes. Now, the day of Yahweh, there's a reference to Yahshua's return. Some believe the day of Yahweh or the day of the yellow ideas, many people understand it refers to a day of worship. Nothing could be further from the truth. The day of Yahweh refers to the day of Yahshua's coming. It says, and it shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of Yahweh shall be saved. So Peter here explains the manifestation of this gift. He says it's not the result of wine. They're not under the influence of anything. He explains that this was the power of Almighty Yahweh through the Holy Spirit. Now he goes on here to quote the prophecy from Joel, one of the greatest prophecies we find really in the Old Testament from a minor prophet. By the way, minor doesn't mean unimportant. Some people, they hear minor prophet and they think that that prophet's not real important. We find many great messages through the minor prophets, where this one's through Joel. And Peter explains here that, that in the latter days, that Yahweh's spirit would be poured out on both men and women, and they would prophesy, they would see visions, they would dream dreams. You know, referring to Joel, Peter also said here, 
that these things would occur through Yahweh's spirit and that they would come to pass when? He said that they would come to pass in the latter days. Now, I believe the latter days began here in Acts 2. The latter days began in Acts 2. And the latter days will extend until Yahshua's coming. You know, remember that a, a thousand years is like one day to Yahweh. It's nothing. So the latter days began in Acts 2 with what we find here, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and will continue through the second coming of our Savior. Now again, the day of Yahweh is something different. The day of Yahweh refers to the actual day of Yahshua's return, so we see the latter days, and we have the day of Yahweh. The latter days is the days we're living in now. But the day of Yahweh refers specifically to Yahshua's coming. Now as we get closer... I believe that we're going to see greater manifestations of the Spirit than what we see here. I really do. I think we're going to be blown away at what we see as the coming of Yahshua the Messiah becomes closer. Because Yahweh's going to have to open up doors. He's going to have to help, and I think he will. You know, just as he worked miracles during Exodus for the, for, for, for the Israelites coming out of Egypt, I think he's going to do the same thing in the latter days as we get closer to the return of Yahshua the Messiah, that Yahweh's Spirit is going to move in a big way. And you know, what's amazing, if you ever look at the trend of Scripture, we see that. That Yahweh's Spirit moves during certain parts. Even near the end of the New Testament, do we see it waning a little bit. You know, as one of the examples I often give is, is uh, Yahshua during his ministry. If someone was, was um, sick, what would he do? He would heal that person. And so would the apostles. But as time went on, you, you see less and less of that in the New Testament. Matter of fact, in one part, Peter, or Paul tells a young Timothy, he says, you know, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Why didn't Paul just heal Timothy? Well, I believe that's evidence that Yahweh's spirit was somewhat waning. Yahweh's spirit's always here, but we see manifestations great, uh, greater during, during certain points in time. Now, one of the most important truths we find here is in verse 21. Peter, again, quoting from Joel, says that those who call on the name of Yahweh will be what? He says, those who call on Yahweh's name will be saved. Those who call on Yahweh's name will be saved. You know, we see in Revelation 14.1, the saints, they're going to be sealed with Yahweh's name. And for the record, that really, I believe that occurs right before the Great Tribulation. We see in Revelation 7, Yahweh telling the angels, he says, hold back the winds, hold back the plagues until I have sealed my servants. And once I seal my servants, then the plagues can be unleashed. We also know that Yahweh's name seals and separates his people from this world. You know, even when Solomon dedicated the temple, he spoke about Yahweh's name. You know, a, a nation called by your name. You know, Yahweh's name is so important. I don't believe that we can qualify saints of our Father in heaven unless we're willing to acknowledge and use Yahweh's name. These people who believe the name's not important is, is so wrong. Because Yahweh says, those who call on my name, they're going to be saved. And we don't have to wonder what this is or what the Hebrew or the Greek or whether the name was there. This is a quote from the prophet Joel. And we see Yahweh's name there in the Old Testament, so we know it's Yahweh's name. Now, in verse 29, Peter changes focus somewhat. He changes focus from the power of Yahweh's spirit to the resurrection of Yahshua the Messiah. So I want to read that to you here. So Acts 20, uh, 2, 29 through 33 says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, 
that he is both dead and buried and his sepulchers with us unto this day. You see, David's not in heaven. So many people, they have this crazy notion that when we die, we go to heaven. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says no man has gone to heaven. That's what John chapter 3, verse 13 says. No man has gone to heaven, but he who descended out of heaven. Who descended out of heaven? Yahshua descended out of heaven. The only one who has gone to heaven is he who descended out of heaven. This was Yahshua the Messiah, not mankind. No man has gone to heaven. And we see here, and that was Yahshua speaking, by the way. Here we see from Peter that David, too, he's not gone to heaven. He's buried and dead, and he's his sepulchers there in the Middle East even to this day. Continues on, it says, Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that Elohim had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to, his, to the flesh, he would raise up Messiah to set on his throne. He's seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Messiah, that his soul... Now, the word soul in the Hebrew comes from what? Nephesh. Nephesh. And soul basically means a person, a living creature. So his, his, his soul, or his being, was, would, would not be left in the grave. Neither his flesh did see corruption. This Yahshua hath Yahweh raised up, whereof you are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of Elohim exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of this Holy Spirit, he hath shed forth this, which you now see and hear. So in this passage, we find many, many important truths. Number one, we see here that David was a prophet. How many people here knew that David was a prophet? We all knew David was a great guy, great king, great person, but he's also a prophet based on Scripture. Matter of fact, some of the greatest prophecies we find within the Word are where? In the book of Psalms. It's incredible when we look at Psalms and when we understand all the many prophecies we find within that book. So we find here that David was a prophet, and we see here that he prophesied about what he prophesied about Yahshua's own resurrection. He says here that Yahshua's resurrection, that Yahshua himself would not see corruption, that his soul would not see corruption in the grave. This was, again, a a reference to his resurrection. Now I want to focus on for a moment what we see in verse 33. You know, for years I would read this and I missed it. I I believe it's important and here's why. We find here that when the Messiah was resurrected, that he received a gift to impart impart upon mankind. So what was the gift we find here? Well, the gift we find here is the Ruach HaKodesh. Yahweh gave his son the gift to impart upon us. Does that make sense? Isn't that important to understand? And here's why that's important to understand. What did Yahshua tell his disciples when he was here? Yahshua told his disciples that before the Comforter could come, what had to happen? That he had to leave. So before the Holy Spirit could come, Yahshua had to go. When Yahshua was resurrected, Yahweh gave him the power of the Holy Spirit to impart upon his people. I think that's an important connection. Now, let's continue on here, we're going to see that the people finally, they get it. They realize what had happened when they put to death Yahshua the Messiah. So I want to read that account, Acts 2, 36 through 41. And remember that all of this is occurring when? All of this is occurring right now. It's on on, on the day of, uh, on the Feast of Weeks, the day of Pentecost. It says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly 
that Elohim hath made the same Yahshua whom you have impelled, both Master and Messiah. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Yahshua Messiah for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. Well, that's us, those that are afar off. That's us, that's those that will come after us, even as many as Yahweh Elohim shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. It's amazing how things never change. Isn't that the message we preach today? Save yourselves from this wicked and perverse generation. Same thing. Why that is, is man doesn't change. Man is always corrupt, always seeking to, to rebel and reject Yahweh. We see the same thing today. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And again, the word soul in Hebrew comes from Nethesh. It refers to a person. Now, after all the signs and wonders, and after Peter's message, we see here that those gathered were pricked in their hearts. They finally realized what they had done. They realized that they were guilty of putting to death the son of Yahweh. Yahshua the Messiah. And once realizing this, they ask, what shall we do? How do we make amends for the wrong we've done? Now, I'm sure at this point they were distraught, again, really realizing for the first time the mistake they made. They understood the enormity of their actions. They knew, again, that they were guilty of putting to death the most important person that's ever walked on this earth. So what was Peter's response? Where he told them to repent. Now I'm going to say this real quickly about repentance. You know, some people have this crazy notion that repentance is a verbal confession. I'm sorry. Or repentance is much more than saying I'm sorry. Repentance is a change in how we think. It's a change in how we behave. And one of the things I really focus on when we do baptismal counseling is this point. That if we go through this, if, if we are immersed, we need to realize that repentance is a change in how we live, is a change in how we think, is a change in, in what we do. So it begins with repentance. And then he says to be baptized. So before we're baptized, we must repent. Now, once we repent and are baptized, we, we find here that it's in Yahshua's name, and then we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, just as a side note, we know scripturally that this happens with the laying on of hands. You know, some ministers, they don't lay on hands. I don't, I don't understand that. You know, Acts 8 shows. You know, we, we see there that, that uh, after Samaria received the word, that Peter and John came down and, and laid hands. So this is repentance. And repentance, again, we know that it's a washing away of sin. And that's why Peter said what he said. He recognized that, yes, you're guilty of putting to death Yahshua. You're, you're, you're guilty of putting to death the, the most important person on this, this ever walked this earth. And yet you can find forgiveness for that through baptism into Yahshua's name. Now, as a result of this, we see here that about 3,000 people, it says, were immersed on this day. Can you imagine 3,000 people, this number of people? You know, I've seen baptisms, I think, one time, maybe 40 or 50. I mean, it was great. 
it was wonderful to see that many immersions on one day. But I've never seen 3,000 baptisms on one day. But here after Yahweh's Spirit was poured out, and Peter's dynamic message, that Yahweh's Spirit moved, and 3,000 people were immersed on this single day. You know, if not for the outpouring of the Spirit, this would have never happened. You know, I've often said Yahweh's gifts, all of Yahweh's gifts are for a reason and purpose. Now, some people, they, they don't contemplate the reason why Yahweh says what he does or does what he does. And, and here we know that the gift of tongues was for a reason, and that reason was for the growth and the explosion of the New Testament assembly, and that's what we find here. The, the called, if you will, really happened from this point on. It was a spirit that called. It was the outpouring that, that began this process. You know, as he called out Israel in the Old Testament, he's doing the same now in the New. And again, it began 2,000 years ago on this day known as Pentecost. You know what's amazing about the promises we find in Yahweh's word is how consistent they are. The promise Yahweh gave to Israel is, is really the same promise we have today. I want to share a, uh, two parallel passages. The first one is Exodus 19. Exodus 19, 5 through 6. It says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar. We are peculiar. There, there's no doubt about it. We are, we are very peculiar to the world. But this doesn't mean odd, not in the biblical sense. What this means is, is that we're part of Yahweh's own possession, that we're, we're special to Yahweh. We're a treasure to Yahweh, a peculiar treasure that we belong to him. Unto me above the, of all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, they had a, a very special position as a nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So before looking at the promises here, notice what Yahweh says. Notice that these promises were conditional. In verse 5, Yahweh says there that if, if, you see, he doesn't say you will or it will for sure happen or must happen. No, he says if you will indeed obey my voice, these things will occur. So you see, it's a conditional promise. The blessings we find are based on our willingness to obey the one we worship. You know, there are some important concepts in the Bible I want to I sort of briefly talk about. Number one, Yahweh gives every man or woman, every person, free will. I'm a very big believer in free will. You know, there's this uh, concept out there of predestination. Calvin was very big with this, John Calvin. And uh, he basically believed everybody was predestined to be saved or, or doomed, just destroyed or uh, eternally tortured, I guess, from his perspective. But yet Yahweh says that, that he sets before us free will. You know, he told the Israelites of old, he says, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm setting before you life and death, the blessings and the curse. He says, you choose. So it's an important concept to understand that, that he gives us free will to choose or to deny. And if we choose to reject him, once we understand the truth, then there is a consequence to be paid. There's this, this uh, thought that there's no consequences for the way we live is, is simply not the case. You know, we know in Revelation 20, verse 12, it says there that everybody, everybody will be judged based on their works. It doesn't say that they're going to be judged on Yahweh's grace. It doesn't say that they're going to be judged on Yahweh's mercy. It says they're going to be judged on their works. Now, I will say this in reference to judgment. I do believe that what we 
understand comes into play. You know, one of my favorite passages is John chapter 9, verse 41, probably because of the significance, but, but Yahshua was speaking to the Jews there, and he says, um, he says if, you were, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But, but you say you see, therefore your sin remains. You see, if we don't understand something, Yahweh's not going to condemn us for that. He's not going to cause harm to us because we don't understand something. But once we understand something, we're accountable for, for that knowledge. You see, if we understand that the Sabbath is, is on Saturday and, and we should be keeping the Sabbath, and if we choose to ignore it, we're going to be accountable for, for that rebellion. So important concepts to understand that Yahweh has given us free will, that we can choose or deny, and that if salvation is predicated upon what we do, along with his calling, of course, you know, if not for Yahshua the Messiah, we would not even be here. And that, that's important to realize, too, that, that that justification, redemption from our sins, we cannot achieve. So on one hand, salvation is not by works, but on the other hand, we're going to be left out of the kingdom if we don't please the one we worship. You know, Yahweh's grace is important, but it does not give us a license to sin or to break the commandments. Now, what are the promises we find here? What does is, what is Yahweh tell the Israelites in this passage? He promised Israel here that they would be a special treasure. Again, the word peculiar doesn't mean odd, even though we are, we are a little bit odd. It says they're going to be a treasured people and a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This was a promise that Yahweh gave to the Israelites of old. And we know, though, that Israel would have received this, but they forsook Yahweh historically. And here lately, I've, I've gotten the question a few times for some odd reason, uh, was Israel ever uh, righteous? You know, and, and um, if you look at Israel's past, they have quite a checkered past. Uh, Israel, in many, many cases, was not the, the, the poster boy of, of morality. Uh, they, they did pretty good under Moses, pretty good under Joshua, and the, the elders who knew Joshua. But once they all died out, of course, we know they forsook Yahweh, and that's where we see the judges, and, and then we got the prophets. And so, um, you know, certainly Israel was not perfect, but if they were, and if they would have followed Yahweh, if they would have obeyed him, we see here the promises they would have received. And I do believe they would have received these promises. I believe that they would have been a holy priesthood. They would have been a treasured people of all the earth. They would have been blessed beyond measure. But because they refused to listen, they refused to obey, we know that Yahweh took them into Assyrian and Babylonian captivity, where they remained for some time. Now here's what's amazing about this promise. The same promises and really the same conditions we find here, we also find in the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 is where we see this promise. First, actually it says First Peter here. Let me uh, pull this out of the Bible and just confirm this. I think it's 2 Second. Second Peter 2, verse, nope, it's First Peter. Okay, First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And here's what he says. He says, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. A holy priesthood offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Elohim by Yahshua Messiah. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And again, peculiar doesn't mean odd there either. 
that you should show forth the praises of him that who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of Elohim, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So Peter says here that, number one, we, as we're part of this promise, we are a holy priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation, and a special people. This is a promise that awaits, again, those who are found faithful. This is, these are the same promises also they gave to Israel of old. You know, this day again marks the giving of the law at Sinai, the day that they received the commandments. Now, we also know that the commandments were known before this, but again, they came out of Egypt. They were there for 400 years. Yahweh is reestablishing the covenant with Israel there on Sinai, and this occurred on the day of Pentecost in Shaviot. We also see in Acts 2, again, that this day marks the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the catalyst, the flame that ignited the New Testament assembly. And we see here in these passages the promises that awaits the called and chosen. You know, no matter what we go through in this life, it's worth the effort. Some people, they live for the now. They live for the now when they have no concern for the future. Where I'm telling you today, no matter what we go through, no matter what tribulation, no matter what trial, no matter what we have to go through in this life, the destination is worth a journey. Or the journey is worth the destination, I should say. It is worth Yahweh's kingdom. All of us here, all of those listening, we have a great opportunity. And that opportunity is Yahweh's kingdom. But for us to receive this kingdom, for us to receive this relationship, We must listen, we must obey, we must follow our Savior, we must follow our Father in heaven. And if we do this, we're going to be blessed. And that's why we're here at this feast, that's why we keep the Sabbath, that's why we keep the feast days, to honor Yahweh, to do his will, so that we would receive a very special blessing according to his word. Now, it's our custom to close the feast day by imparting upon those gathered the ironic blessing. So if you'd all stand, we'll do that now. I'll impart the blessing upon you. And again, you know, I, 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 I believe that Yahweh is very pleased with, with each one of you for being here and making the sacrifice. Uh, for, for many of you, it's not easy. And I know that he's very pleased. So with that, Yavarakeka Yahweh, Vayeshmareka, Yair Yahweh Panavaleka, Vikuneka, Yisa Yahweh Panavaleka, Vyasem Leka Shalom. That is to say, Yahweh bless thee and keep thee. Yahweh make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Hallelujah.